everybody, welcome back to Locked On Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It is Monday, November 18th, 2019, and the sun is shining, the birds are singing, everybody's in a good mood because for the first time in 45 years, the Vegas Golden Knights have won a hockey game. Welcome back, everybody. I am your host, Danny Webster, Vegas correspondent for NHL.com and site manager for SB Nation's Knights on Ice. And we will absolutely be breaking down the Golden Knights' dominant, an emphasis on dominant, 6 nothing victory over the Calgary Flames on Sunday. We will also touch on the not-so-good part of their back-to-back over the weekend when they lost 4-3 to to the Kings on Saturday. But before we do that, if this is the first time you are come across this podcast, I welcome you. Uh, we are a daily podcast talking about the Vegas Golden Knights Monday through Friday here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, we're more than likely on there. You can follow us on Twitter at LockdownVGK. You can follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21. You can also send an email if you're into that sort of thing in 2019 to at gmail.com. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, I would be so ever so grateful if you could leave us a review and a rating. It lets people find the podcast, lets me know how I'm doing on this podcast, and any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, is always welcome. So let's get the bad news out of the way first. The bad news is the Golden Knights had a chance to get another key divisional win on Saturday against the Los Angeles Kings and did not do so against the Kings, who at the time were at the bottom of the Pacific Division and at the bottom of the Western Conference. The Golden Knights, for the seemingly third game in a row, lost to a team that was much more inferior to them. A 4-3 loss at Staples Center to the Kings on a Saturday at Staples. And of course, narrative, as I've always pointed out, narrative for the win, because the winning goal was scored by none other than Jeff Carter, who was playing in his 1,000th NHL game on Saturday. So uh, congrats to him, I guess, and congrats to the Kings for getting a victory that really they shouldn't have won. But nevertheless, the Golden Knights, we're going to get right away from the bad stuff because we've been talking about bad stuff for the last two weeks, and quite frankly, it's nauseating. Uh, But the Golden Knights came back the following night in Calgary, or not in Calgary, it was in Vegas, against Calgary. And, you know, we've been talking about it for a long time, about how the Golden Knights just needed some sort of spark. They needed something to go their way. And for the first time, and I I can only imagine, I think since October 27th was the last time they won at home, uh, the Golden Knights finally had a break go their way. A 6-0 dominant victory over the Calgary Flames to end their five-game winless streak and to end their three-game winless streak at home in probably the most dominant way possible. And it was led, of course, by the makeshift top line, led by Max Pacioretty, William Carlson, and Riley Smith. And Riley Smith had one assist, but he really wasn't the star of the night. The star of the night was the new duo of 67 and 71. Uh, William Carlson with two goals and an assist, Max Pacioretty with a goal and an assist, his sixth goal in eight games, his second consecutive multi-point game. William Carlson is back to budding superstar form with seven points in three games since these lines were shuffled, and Carlson now leads the team with 23 points. And obviously, this was a big win for a lot of reasons. Number one, 
it, they had to win. If they had entered the third game of this crucial six-game stretch that we've been talking about with three consecutive losses, I think we could have officially said that the sky was falling. Even if it was a back-to-back, the fact that Vegas came so close to beating the Kings the other night, if they would have lost to Calgary, I think things would have gone off the rails. They needed this win. They got the win. Not only did they get the win, they were they entered the third period with a 2-0 lead. Now, we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks also. Going in with a 2-0 lead or a two-goal lead in any fashion for the Golden Knights really hasn't led to much success because they've blown two-goal leads three times in the last eight games. They've led in six of the last eight games, but they haven't found a way to get it done. The Golden Knights in the third period took it to the flames and punched them in the mouth and said, we're tired of this losing crap. We're going to go ahead and win this game. And they absolutely did that. Uh, Pacioretty scored his goal in the third period. And then after Pacioretty scored that goal, the floodgates opened because everyone else decided to start scoring. Mark Stone scored for the first time in seven games. Paul Stasny scored for the first time in nine games. Cody Eakin rose from the depths of hockey purgatory to score his first goal of the year. And I don't think I have ever seen a more relieved look on a person's face then after Cody Eakin scored the goal off the feed from Jonathan Marchessault to put the Golden Knights up four to nothing. Uh, good for Eakin. I mean, that we talked about it last week. The the idea of putting Stone and Marchessault with Eakin more so to get 21 going than compared to actually thinking of it as a promotion to the second line uh, has worked tremendously. Uh, he, I didn't think he had as loud of a game on Saturday, but he, he was, he was making a few good plays on Sunday. And obviously that led to the goal that pretty much eased a lot of people, at least for one night about Cody Eakin not being able to score this entire season, but he did it and, uh, he was rewarded for it. He had, he worked very hard in that game. He made a lot of good defensive plays, made a lot of good, uh, plays in the neutral zone, um, played very good in his own end. Um, but to see that work finally get paid off for Eakin, I think is a good sign whether he can, you know, replicate that on Tuesday when the Maple Leafs come to town uh, remains to be seen. But you know what? For one night, good for Cody Eakin. Uh, at least he's on the board. At least Stone and Stasny remembered how to score. Um, and that is a good sign. If that line can get going along with the way Pacioretty and Carlson have been dominating, uh, for the last couple of games, that can only be that can only be considered a good sign going forward. Um, and obviously, you want to see that third line eventually get going. I thought Alex Tuck made a couple of good plays. Uh, Stasny's goal came on four and four, so it really wasn't a third line goal. And Cody Glass, I think, had a rough night last night. He had a couple of plays where he should have should not have turned the puck over, and he got roughed up a little bit. So not not the best night for the third line. Fourth line was very good. Uh, I thought Ryan Reeves had probably one of his better defensive games uh, of the season. He made a couple of great plays. Uh, and there was one play in particular, I think it was the first period, when uh, uh, Mikhail Backlund, <clears throat> excuse me, geez, I'm so choked up. What a, what a win. I'm so choked up over this. Um, but no, uh, I think Mikhail Backlund hit Reeves in the neutral zone and about a couple of, uh, about 20 seconds later, Backlund gets sprung for a one-on-one and Reeves hunts him down all the way into the attacking zone and makes a good play on the puck. And uh, Reeves, I thought, played one of his better defensive games last night. And that really not a calling card for Ryan Reeves, but he did well. 
Uh, William Carrier got into a, a little bit of a tussle with Milan, Milan Lucic, which, you know, those are words I thought I would never utter in this lexicon, but you know what? Uh, big hit by Carrier led to some uh, led to some verbal jabs at the other end for uh, the the Calgary Flames enforcer. I guess you can call Lucic an enforcer. I guess I don't know. Um, but in any event, uh, good win for the Golden Knights, putting three weeks of frustration behind them. Uh, they needed this win again for a multitude of reasons. They needed this victory. They got the victory, and now the hard part is trying to string wins together. The Golden Knights have looked very impressive in their victories. Um, now at 10-9-3 on the season, when they've won, they've looked very good. They have looked, uh, they've looked like a contending team. When they've gotten these victories and they've put it to teams that they should beat and that you know surprisingly they do beat, um, they, they look really good. The, the task now is stringing wins together. And it's not going to help matters knowing that they have to face the Toronto Maple Leafs on Tuesday, who they uh, lost 2-1 to at Toronto during their four-game road trip. So definitely revenge is on the mind for the Golden Knights uh, heading into this matchup. But if they can string some wins together, especially if they can string a win against Toronto and then two key divisional games, which Vegas is now 6-2 and against the Pacific Division, by the way. If they can string two more wins together against Toronto, or string three wins together, Toronto, San Jose, and Edmonton, then I think we can kind of we can kind of ease up a little bit. I did say, though, uh, before this stretch of five of the next six at home, I did say that four and two would have to be a success, so Vegas will have to win these next three to kind of call this stretch a success because losing to Chicago and losing to L.A., not ideal. Not ideal in the least. Um but, you know, Vegas found a way. They finally got back to playing transitional hockey. They were playing more north and south. I think Max Pacioretty was telling me yesterday it's a little bit. it took him a little bit of an adjustment period to play with William Carlson as opposed to Stone and Stasny. Not necessarily because Stone and Stasny are slower players, which I, I guess in a sense that is true. Um, but Carlson is much more of a speed threat. He is much more of a... Uh, more of a dynamic force in the offensive end when he gets the puck and his 200 foot game just complements Pacioretty well. And especially on both of their goals, they Carlson's first goal and Pacioretty's goal. Um, they weren't necessarily lethal as far as give and go is concerned, but the fact that the threat was there for Pacioretty to either pass to Carlson or Carlson to pass to Pacioretty, that the threat was there. And that's what makes that combination so dangerous. And if they can keep this up the way that they've been playing for the last three games, you know, it's only resulted in a one and two record, but you can see the kinks there. You can see the the gears starting to turn, and if that line can get going, and if that second line, that that Eakin line with uh, Stone and Marshall, if they can get going, then you have a new makeshift top six where all you have to worry about is the third line, and you got to think that third line is going to get going at some point. Um, the fact that Stasny's finally on the board, the fact that Alex Tuck made a couple plays uh, yesterday that looked really good that should have resulted in goals. And I think Cody Glass just had one of those instances where uh, it was just a rough game for the rookie, but I, I would expect him to kind of bounce back going forward. Um, if those two lines, if that new top six can get going, and all you have to worry about is the third line, knowing that that third line is too talented to not get anything going. It's, it's a lot different when you're talking about the third line of Egan, Glass, and Tuck where, they're, where there's talent, but there's not enough talent to where they can generate offense. Now you add Stasny with those two, 
And if all you have to worry about is Cody Glass struggling here and there on the wing, and if you can get Alex Tuck going, then there you go. Your top nine is set. But obviously that all hinders on a couple of things, one being Cody Eakin sustaining this success that he's on for one game and can Stone and Stasny kind of break out of their funks and keep going for more than just one goal every six or seven games. So very interesting to look out for uh, for the Golden Knights um, as they will face the Toronto Maple Leafs on Tuesday and then will welcome the San Jose Sharks on Thursday before the Edmonton Oilers on Saturday. So a busy week for the Golden Knights, but um, they got the win, and that and that's really all that matters. They got the victory, and it was a much-needed victory. Like I said, three weeks of frustration, finally out the window, and they got the victory. So baby steps, I feel. Baby steps is the best way to look at this. Baby steps, one step at a time. Enter any saying involving steps here. And we'll go from there. Then don't forget, friends, treat yourself to the meal that you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code LOCKEDON. Listening on the go, if you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com backslash offers. So one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I kind of touched on it last week, that I wanted to mention uh, the documentary Valiant, which is, which documented the, uh, the Golden Knights inaugural season, uh, surrounding the October 1st shooting. Um, the world premiere was yesterday at one thirty at, uh, T-Mobile arena, uh, before the game. And those who had tickets to the game, they were able to come in and watch the documentary, um, and get free popcorn in the process. By the way, why didn't media get free popcorn? What the, what the heck was that all about? We get free popcorn for every game. You couldn't supply us popcorn for this movie? I'm joking. I'm obviously joking. Um, but I wanted to get my thoughts on it just because obviously the the October 1st thing hits us all hard. If you if you live in Las Vegas, obviously it's it's something that we just can't escape from. It, it'll always be there, obviously. But I thought the documentary was very well done. I thought that it was a perfect representation of the city. I think Cruz Angeles, the uh, director who also directed Fernando Nation, the great 30 for 30 um, that was on ESPN a while back, uh, he directed this. And I figured if he's directing this, knowing how well that 30 for 30 was, uh, I thought that it was going to be a spectacular hit, and it was. Um, I think more so than anything... This wasn't necessarily about the Golden Knights inaugural season. Obviously, that had played a great role in it. I just thought the documentary did a fantastic job portraying the city. I thought that this did a fantastic job of capturing the people. And I think that's what this really was all about. It wasn't just the Golden Knights and their success in year one, making it to the cup final and going on this wave of un unfathomable success that they had in the inaugural year. But I think that it did such a fantastic job capturing the people. It did such a, a great job capturing the emotions, both excited about the team come starting play, the emotions of the grief, the tragedy, the emotions of overcoming the grief and the tragedy and watching 
this team go on this magical run. And, you know, I was fortunate to be there for every home game. I was there. I was fortunate enough to be in D.C. for the Stanley Cup final. I I was fortunate enough to even be a part of that ride. And there were so many times, and I think a lot of people would agree with me on this, that what that team did in that year was not just the greatest thing I think I've ever seen in sports, but I mean, I'm, I'm born and raised 27 years in this city and I've never been through anything like October 1st. I don't think any of us ever have. I mean, nine 11 was probably the closest thing that we all as a community went through. But it's it's a completely different ball game when you're in your hometown and you're seeing that unfold. And I and I tell the story a lot when people ask me, you know, where was I um, the night of the shooting? I mean, I was I literally just gotten home from the arena from the Golden Knights' last preseason game against San Jose. I had literally just gotten home. I just gotten to bed. Um, my my wife was already sleeping, and I was already. I I probably had gone to bed about maybe about a half an hour before everything happened. And then I woke up at two 30 and my phone's blowing up. And one of my, one of my best friends, he's texting me and he goes, Hey, are you all right? I'm just hearing what happened. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And then I look and I'm seeing all these notifications. Like what the hell just happened? And I mean, there, it's just, I don't know. It, it was just one of those things where you felt numb like I immediately went to the living room and I turned on CNN and I'm just watching all this unfold and I'm like, how in the world? Why in the world? And, you know, you're not... It, I think it's hard to go through an entire season like that. And, and it's my first season covering a professional sports team, mind you. And honestly, when that first game happened against Arizona, the first home game against Arizona... For the first time in my life, I did not feel like a reporter. I was pulling so hard for the Golden Knights to win, not just because I wanted to see the Golden Knights win, but I wanted to see the community deserved it. There is no greater atmosphere than I've ever seen than that home opener. And I think it hit me the most when they got to the part in the documentary about the home opener. And they replayed the 58 seconds of silence. And I I remember I really tried hard not to cry <laughs> when that, when that, while that was going on. I don't think there was really a dry eye in the press box. I'd be very shocked if there was. Um, I really tried hard not to cry. And I almost did when, uh, when they showed it again, the 58 seconds. And I was just like, man... And I remember I have a picture I took. Uh, it was my, uh, I think it was my either my Facebook header or my Twitter header for a little while, um, of the scoreboard saying fifty-eight with all the names on the ice. And that still to me remains one of the greatest shots I've ever seen. Not even just for me, because I know there were a lot of photographers there that night that took that picture, and it just remains one of the greatest stills I've ever seen. And the fact that you could hear a pin drop that night, it was that 
deafening of silence. And to see them go out and win that game 5-2 to two against uh, Arizona was absolutely incredible. I don't think I'll ever experience anything like that in my life again. And I, I, I honestly hope I never have to experience anything like that in my life. Um, but the documentary itself, I think, was fantastic. I think it did what it was supposed to do. It was to honor the victims, the families of the victims, and it was meant to honor just the community in general, the city of Las Vegas. I think that year, while the Golden Knights did have their amazing run, I think it showed the world that not only could Vegas support a hockey team, I think it showed that Vegas is an actual city. And and I remember writing this after the morning after when everything happened. I remember because there was no other way I could express what happened and I remember I went on to KOI and I and I wrote something along the lines of I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like you know, Vegas is a blue collar town. For those who haven't been here, all you see is the lights, the glitz and the glamour. You don't know what goes on beyond the scene, behind the scenes. And I think it's shown that this community has become just an overarching, unbelievable place to live. And I think the documentary, more than anything, captured the people and it captured the community as best as I think anybody ever could. So huge kudos to Cruz Angeles and his crew. Um, I thought they did a fantastic job. Um, you know, a couple things like, you know, they got the, the wrong score here and there. They had the wrong uh, series score. But you know what, that, that, those are all minor things that you can change um, before it's released in December. I think it's released on all digital platforms. I think December 3rd is when it is released to the world. Um, but I think overall, a job well done by the, by the, by the people for working the Valiant documentary. I think they did a, a really great job just capturing the whole essence of that entire year and really the city. Because it, that's what it all comes down to, is just showing the people what kind of city this is. And I think we all got a glimpse of that um, once again through this documentary. Um, so again, I think it'll be released December 3rd. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it is December 3rd, released on uh, Amazon, um, Google Play, iTunes. I think all that, it'll be released then. Um, the only thing I had a, had a really uh, question about, there was this guy named Ken Bulky. He was in there a lot. He talked a lot. I think they used too much of Bulky, whoever that guy is, whoever that clown is. He used a little bit too much of him. Less, less bulky going forward, please. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Ken, Ken told me he did 11 hours of work for that, which is absurd. 11 hours of interviews and whatnot, whatever other things he had to do. Good God. So Ken did a lot. Uh, but uh, uh, all, all in all, uh, again, great job by those guys working the documentary. Great job directing it and... Um, I think they did. I think they did what they were supposed to do, and they did it the right way. So, kudos to them. So we mentioned uh, about Vegas winning six nothing last night. That wasn't even the biggest win of the night. Biggest win of the night goes to Benny the Rescue Doggo. 
Because Benny the Rescue Dog came out and stole the hearts and minds of everybody in T-Mobile Arena last night. Now you're probably asking yourself, who in the world is Benny the Dog? Who is Benny the Rescue Doggo? Benny the Rescue Doggo was a dog who was rescued um, from a shelter in Las Vegas. I think he was on his last day, and he was rescued, and... um, to pretty much celebrate the fact that he was rescued, he was brought to the ice uh, during the second intermission last night to uh, to get on some skates and give the crowd something to cheer for, as if they already didn't have enough to cheer for and if they didn't have donuts to look forward to later in the day from Krispy Kreme. Um, Vinny the Doggo comes onto the ice. He's on skates. got two skates on his front paws. Jumped over a hurdle. Entertained the crowd. He gave the crowd some hockey sticks. He's playing fetch. He was, it was the best thing that happened last night. He made everybody happy. Uh, and then the Golden Knights scored four times in the third period and even went home with free donuts. So I would say that based on those facts alone and based on that information, I would like to think that Benny should be made the official Golden Knights dog. I'm not exactly sure what the process is, nor do I know what the holdup is for the Golden Knights to actually get a dog as their official dog. I mean, the Capitals have one. The Blues have one. There are teams that have dogs. There are teams that have beautiful four-legged creatures being the official ambassador of their respective clubs. I'm trying to figure out what is taking so long for the Golden Knights to get a dog. I would personally prefer a beagle i think a beagle blackjack the beagle that there we go blackjack the beagle would be fantastic and i think it would be a perfect representation for the golden knights to have a dog you can either call him blackjack you can call him ruley you can call him uh, whatever the hell you want to call him any dog would be beneficial for the golden knights and i'm telling you what If Benny is the reason why the Golden Knights go on a long winning streak, then they might need to make Benny the official dog. Because not every day do the Golden Knights just throw a dog out on the ice and all of a sudden they come back for the third period and score four straight goals. doesn't happen like that. I don't think it happens in any lexicon in hockey history. So I'm not sure what the holdup is. Other teams have a pup. The Golden Knights need to get on it. For the sake of everyone involved and for the sake of humanity across Las Vegas, get a dog. Good Lord. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Another thing to note before we get out of here, guys, um, Max Pacioretty and Paul Snazzy are holding a street hockey clinic uh, today at two o'clock over in North Las Vegas. Um, I will be there. Um, I will also be uh, talking about it on tomorrow's show. I think it'd be interesting. Uh, Paul Snazzy and Max Pacioretty don't normally publicize Many events that they do through their uh, Patches and Staz uh, or Paul and Patches uh, initiative that they do uh, helping underprivileged youth. Uh, they will be hosting kids from the Doc Pearson Community Center on the game on Saturday against Edmonton. So that's good to see. But I will be there. I will be talking about this on tomorrow's pod uh, as well as breaking down the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, game on Tuesday that Vegas did not practice today. So it's a little, it's a little odd with this whole schedule thing. You got the back to back, then you don't have practice and you got to come back for morning skate on Tuesday. So it's kind of, 
it's kind of weird. Kind of mixed up, mixed it up a little bit. Um, but we will be back tomorrow. I, I will talk to you about the Striaki Clinic. We'll hear from. I'm hoping we'll hear from Stasny and Pacioretty on that, and we will break down the Toronto game in hopes of the Golden Knights winning back-to-back games for the first time in what seems like forever. Um, but we will be breaking that down and a whole lot more. Also, don't forget, Mailbag Friday is coming back this week. Please send in your questions. All of them are greatly appreciated. Uh, we're going to make it Mailbag Friday. I think Mailbag Friday, given the schedule, if we can plan it out ahead, I think uh, that would benefit everybody. So uh, send in your questions to uh, Twitter at LockdownVGK or at DannyWebster21. Get your questions in, and I will be more than happy to answer them on Friday's episode. So that will wrap it up for us today, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you again for your continued support. Thank you again for uh, for all your downloads, for your subscribes, for your listens, whatever the case may be, wherever you're listening to it. I really do appreciate it. And we'll be back tomorrow to uh, do this all over again. So thanks, guys. I am Danny Webster. This has been Locked on Golden Knights, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, and we will see you tomorrow. Have a good one.